I want to bring a, a message today that's very different than the kind of message that I usually bring. If you're a new springer, if you attend regularly, you will know that this is not my normal message. Um, I don't know if it's just my personality, but I always try to engage your imagination and then try to engage your heart. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. Number one is that's how you engage me. If you can capture my imagination, if you can touch my heart, then you can, you can make a difference in how I live. And the other reason is I'm just not the most intellectual person in the world. But today, I want to I go after your intellectualism, I wanna, or I want to go after your thinking. This is a, a different kind of approach, because I think, I think today, as Americans, we need to do some thinking. I don't, I don't want to sound... I don't, I, don't, I don't want to sound negative, but I think all the electronic devices and entertainment that we're engaged in today are kind of pickling our brains. And so today I want to challenge your thinking. I love the 4th of July. Ever since I was a kid, it was one of my favorite holidays. Perhaps it was because it was in the summer and there are all kinds of activities that you can do in the summer or be part of. I loved it because school was out, and I'm a southerner. I love fireworks. The AAA predicts that this will be the highest traveled holiday in all of history, American history, as Americans hit the roads to spend time with family and take time off. And I don't want to sound like that elderly aunt who always lectures you, but I do want to ask the question, do we really know what this is all about? Have we ever known what the 4th of July is all about? For me, it is my second favorite day only to, holiday only to Thanksgiving. Do we really know why we celebrate the 4th of July? Well, something happened on the 4th of July in 1776 that you should know about, because if you don't know about it, you won't understand what it means to be an American. Or worse yet, you and I might be part of the greatest nation in the world, and we might lose it because we don't know how it was founded, how it was built, and why it was built in the first place. To tell the story simply, the first Americans did not come here with the idea of building a nation. They did not come with the thought that they were starting a new country. They came to settle new lands for various reasons. Some for religious freedom, some to build their fortunes, others to start over again because things had not gone well in Europe. And, and quite honestly, some came to this new land because there were sociological locks that kept them from rising higher in Europe. But it, they came to expand territories for old countries, not to start a new country. And by the middle of the 18th century, it had worked fabulously. We live in a land that is rich with natural resources, and the, the colonies that sprung up were ripe with opportunities. And, and so like no other British colony in history, it had developed to the place where it had almost mirrored the mother country, even eclipsed it in some cases. But as America grew more prosperous, England tightened its grip. And the way the colonials looked at it, they were being treated more as conquered peoples than equal and fellow Englishmen. What exacerbated the situation was that Britain had found itself in an unwise and costly war and wound up deeply in debt. And so to make up the shortfall, they laid a heavy and unreasonable tax burden on the colonies. And time and time again, your foreparents, foremothers and forefathers, sent messengers to humbly petition Parliament to ease up. They had pleaded with Parliament time and time again. They had sent delegations and emissaries to Parliament saying, please, let up on us. And when Parliament tightened its grips, the colonists, colonists hoped that King George III would intervene on their behalf and perhaps act as a, 
a mediator to ameliorate the differences that the colonists had with Parliament. But instead of making things worse, uh, making things better, George made things worse. He was German-born, and he hired German soldiers to come and, in some cases, brutalize the colonists. So by 1776, skirmishes between the colonists and the British had been flaring up, and war seemed inevitable. And that's where what the 4th of July is about comes into play, and it's what you should know about. After months of discussions on this day, Congress released a Declaration of Independence. Sometimes we say we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence, but that was actually on July the 2nd. John Adams wrote his wife and said, for generations, Americans will celebrate the 2nd of July. But he missed it by two days, because what we celebrate is not the signing of the Declaration, but the release of the Declaration, the release of the good news. See, up to this point, most Americans were on the sidelines. We live in an age where polls are taken, and the idea is that the majority always moves the needle, but that's not always the case. See, roughly a third of Americans in 1776 sided with the crown. Roughly a third were for a revolution, and another third, some things never change, another third just wanted it to all go away, and they were going to side with whoever won. Most were safe on the sidelines, but the time comes, and this is, what, this is what the Declaration of Independence is about. The time comes when you have to declare yourself. The time comes when men and women of courage must declare what they believe and put everything behind it. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have the courage to declare yourself? Many of us have one set of values with one set of friends, another set of values with another set of friends. It sort of depends on who we're with. How many of us have felt the shame of articulating an absolutely opposite viewpoint that we articulated earlier with a different group of people. I wonder today in America, do we have the courage to declare what we believe? And our, our, our first ancestors here in the United States, our forefathers and foremothers, had the courage to do exactly that. They put together a declaration that said, we are not traitors, we are not terrorists, we have a right to be free, and I think the quintessential message of the Declaration of Independence, and more important than anything else, we have a right to exist. Thomas Jefferson wrote the document. It was massaged and signed and released. But this idea that they had a right to exist, that they were not terrorists, that they were not traitors, it raised the question, on what basis would they have a right to declare their independence? On what basis could they say that they were not terrorists or traitors and that they had a right to exist? Bernard Balin, the Harvard historian, in his great book, The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution, said this, the orthodox British view dating from the glorious revolution of 1688 was that parliament was the supreme authority throughout the empire, and so by definition, anything parliament did was constitutional. This was pretty much the prevailing concept, at least after 1688, if not all the way from the signing of the Magna Carta, that parliament was the ultimate authority. Britain ruled the world, basically, and parliament ruled Britain. Parliament was the supreme authority. And the problem that the colonists had was that Parliament, the supreme authority, said, you are traitors, you are terrorists. So if Parliament declared Americans as traitors and it was the supreme authority, on what basis could the Americans declare their independence? I think we should wrestle with that today. Why are people like George Washington or John Adams or Nancy Ward, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Penelope Barker, 
How, how do we know that these are not thugs? How do we know that these are not terrorists? How do we know that these are heroes and heroines? Where did they get the authority? Where did they find the authority that was higher than parliament? Well, many of us went to universities in which there were those who tried to excise the actual answer to this question, and they say they got their authority from something called natural law. Natural law is that system of law that's determined by nature, and thus it is universal. We have a lot of lawyers here who are going to quickly know that I'm in way over my head, but I think there are basically three main branches of law. There's natural law, that universal law that we all just sort of understand, take for granted. There is positive law, that is man-made law and common law, that is sort of precedential law, law based on precedent. And so many of us have been taught that the basis on which our founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence and had the right to say we're not terrorists, we're not traitors, was natural law. And I want to draw now a piece of the Declaration of Independence from which they might draw that consideration. The, the, the Declaration says, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature, oh, there you have it. There are those who could say, well, the reason why we could declare independence and override parliament, it is natural law. But let's read the entire sentence. On which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. Nice try. Because there is no such thing as nature without nature's God. They could say, we are not traitors, we are not terrorists, we have a right to be free, we have a right to exist, and we draw these rights not from Parliament but from a much higher source. These rights are given to us by Almighty God. And now the most important and the most salient and the most well-known words of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness... These basic rights do not come from Parliament, nor do they come from Washington. They come from our Creator. If you take that most salient statement, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they're endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, there is no way of escaping the fundamental germ, the fundamental basis of that statement is there are truths, therefore there are rights. It is like an algebraic equation. If you remove the truths, you remove the rights. These truths. And the framers of the Declaration of Independence felt that these truths were not necessarily the kinds of truths that you had to be taught in a classroom or that were revealed from some higher source. They felt that these truths were self-evident. In other words, they felt that everybody should understand inherently. What truths? This is why I appeal to you to think, because many of us have grown up in an America in which we have been taught that there is a separation between government and God, that God is no longer a useful hypothesis, that God has no place in our public concourse. Many of us have grown up foolishly believing the, the babble that has come about from historic revisionism. 
Which truths? Well, all men are created. There is a creator. The creator made us equal. The creator endowed us with rights. And since these rights are given by our creator, they predate and supersede all human governments. Therefore, they are inalienable. And by the way, if you're wondering what that word means, it means they cannot be separated or taken away. This statement is the basis for America. It has highlighted the way for course corrections. Less than 100 years after the Declaration of Independence, we had work to do as a nation because we had not lived up to this wonderful statement. And there was a civil war. And the question was then on what basis could we have a civil war? Princeton historian and Civil War expert James McPherson in his book, Abraham Lincoln and the Second American Revolution, reveals something to us that I find very interesting. He said that Lincoln argued that the Declaration is a statement of principles through which the United States Constitution should be interpreted. In other words, Lincoln felt that the Declaration of Independence was a superior document to the Constitution itself, and the reason why the United States should fight a war was because we have a creator, and the creator has created all men equal, and so the only way to interpret the Constitution was through the lens or the prism of the Declaration of Independence. And the Civil Rights Movement. Some of us can remember watching the grainy black and white footage of Dr. Martin Luther King as he stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and he made his famous speech. And in that speech he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Which truths, Dr. King? All men are created. There is a creator. The creator has made us equal. The Creator has endowed us with rights. And since these rights are given to us by our Creator, they predate, supersede all human governments. Therefore, they are inalienable. They cannot be separated or taken away. Those were the truths Dr. King was speaking about on that day. Well, that's where America started. But the challenge with a great nation like America is holding on to it. One of my favorite vignettes from history was after the Constitution was completed, Benjamin Franklin was leaving the hall, and a woman with attitude called out to him, Mr. Franklin, what kind of, what kind of government have you given us? And with Franklin's natural gift of quick thought and wit said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Some time ago, the official position of America is that we no longer have a creator. It is considered foolish to talk about creation. And piece by piece, we have lived in a world where judicial decisions have excised references to God 
And somehow, I don't know what God did to America, but somehow God has become the enemy. I have told you, and I am an old man, I have told you of a different America. I've told you of an America where in the eighth grade in speech class, I opened the day with announcements and other speech students opened announcements with the reading of a scripture before we gave the announcements. I have told you of a day in a public high school in Texas where I stood on stage and read the story of the resurrection from the New Testament to three assemblies. And some of you even right now are pushing back against that because you've drunk the Kool-Aid and in your mind and thinking that is unconstitutional. And you're saying, well, what about the separation of church and state? Well, that is a very important statement. It's not in any of our official documentation. But Thomas Jefferson, when he was defending the Danbury Baptist, spoke of the wall of separation between church and state. But if you look at that case, it wasn't that Jefferson was saying that God had no place in public life. He was saying that the state could not encroach upon the rights of the church, and no church could dictate the affairs of the state, no specific church. It was about specific churches, not the difference between, or not a distinction between God and public life. You and I are watching a world where in public concourse, if someone references God, there is pushback about that. Well, I have a question. This statement that Abraham Lincoln felt was the most superior statement in American documentation, this statement that Dr. King appealed to when he asked us for civil rights, I wonder, is this statement, is it still constitutional? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that are among these are of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I just wonder, is that still constitutional? Are they still truths? Are they no longer self-evident? If there is no creator, how can you be sure we're equal? If there is no creator who has endowed us with rights, do we have rights? If there is no higher authority than human government, do, do we only have those rights ceded to us from governments? If we have only government-given rights, is there any such thing as freedom? think we think very much anymore. The truth is, is that we vacillate back and forth. We say, oh, maybe we shouldn't have God in public life, but let a catastrophe happen to America, and even our politicians will blow the dust off God and try to bring it back. I think we're not sure. One of the greatest Americans that you should get to know is Dr. Peter Marshall. Dr. Peter Marshall was a great pastor who became chaplain of the Senate. And he died as a young man. But I don't know of any preacher who affected the lives of presidents and senators and congressmen like Peter Marshall did. And every week when Peter Marshall would stand up to preach, there would be leaders from America, even presidents, would come and listen to Peter Marshall preach. And one day, Peter Marshall stood before his congregation, and he talked about the same thing that I'm talking about today. 
And he stood as I stand, not as a politician. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I don't even get into politics. I've been disappointed too much. I try to be a good citizen. I want to vote well. But I'm not talking about politics today. There is no party that can bring this kind of change in. This was not brought in by a particular political party. This was brought in by courageous women and courageous men who declared themselves for what they believed. But Peter Marshall asked the question one time from Elijah the prophet, how long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And let me say that to us as Americans today. If God is God, we must follow him. If he's not God, then let us not follow him. Let us say then that we were not a nation that was framed on the basis of a creator who gave us rights. Let us say that there is no God and that we are bumping along the bottom hoping for the best. Let us make up our minds. But I feel like Joshua today, although I might be in the majority, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I challenge you today. To declare yourself. And don't be part of this sappy, wimpy generation that feels the foolishness of revisionism that believes that God has no place in America. If God has no place in America, there will be no America. But I will say this, the one thing I've watched as I've read the Bible is that God is gracious, and if there are people who want to do the right thing, they may be in the minority, but God will still hear. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, these words are given. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. God said, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. We may not be able to change what happens outside our walls, and maybe we shouldn't even worry about that. We should be concerned about who we are. This message is about you and me declaring ourselves.